Hello and happy Friday and welcome to Travelog, the podcast from Condé Nast Traveller. Please, long-time listeners, do not adjust your dials. I am not Brad Rickman. I am Mark Elwood. I'm deputising for Brad this week. I wouldn't say replacing. Brad, we miss you. You are irreplaceable. But I'm here for a special Pride Month edition of Travelog with an all-LGBTQ cast. We've got a lot of Pride editorial on the site at the moment. Please do check it out. We've got a lovely package that we put together, which looks at the intersection of all things LGBTQ and travel. Everything from same-sex destination weddings to a story I wrote about Chengdu, which is China's unexpected gay capital, to uh, a couple who throw in their jobs and travel around the world as a same-sex couple and some of their experiences doing that. So, of course, our podcast this week is a special LGBTQ travel podcast. But before we get into the meat of all that, I want to introduce you to my special guests. We've got a brand new panel, and I want you to meet all of them before we start talking. So I will let them all introduce themselves and say what they do at Condé Nast when they're not talking about travel. Meredith, why don't you kick us off? Yes, my name is Meredith Toulousen. I am the executive editor of Them, which is Condé Nast's LGBTQ platform. And so... Appropriately, I'm a guest in this podcast. That's, I knew there was a reason you were here. <laughs> <laughs> I am Sam Escobar. I am the deputy digital director of Allure magazine. Uh, so I run our digital team. Perfect. Uh, I'm Andy Barigani. I'm the senior food editor at Bon Appetit and Healthyish. Perfect. All right. So thank you, guys. We're going to spend a little time talking about quite a serious question, hopefully in a fun way, sharing some of our stories and some of our thoughts. The question we have here is, is LGBTQ travel inherently political? That intersection of LGBTQness and travel, is there always a political component? And before we kind of look at those different, I kind of want to ask each of you, what do you think? What's your gut reaction? <sighs> All right, I'll go first. <laughs> well, I think, in, I mean, travel is political. I mean, it's the way you use your passport, how you're spending your money, what restaurants you're going to, your souvenirs, and those have ramifications that are beyond the kind of sun-kissed tan you get from the sun okay. that you're bringing back. I would say yes. I think safety and travel is something that I guess a lot of people think about in general. And I think... When you're traveling, if you are kind of nervous about being safe, then you're going to go to different places than somebody who feels really comfortable just going on their own to wherever around the world. So let's say you really want to go to the World Cup, but you're really afraid of the way, you know, a lot of LGBTQ people are treated in Russia, then you might not be able to go, even though soccer is your favorite thing in the world. So to so me, it might, it's like participation. So it might be made political for you, mm -hmm. or there might be a component that is beyond your control that still impacts you. Yes. And, you know, and I think conversely, there is this sense, you know, like I feel like whenever I, I travel as a trans person, I do feel a certain resistance to that narrative, right? You know, that there is a certain kind of sense of defiance in a similar way that other minority groups um, and other marginalized groups feel when they do travel that, you know, like we will travel anyway, even when you know, there are forces that are trying to keep us from doing that because it's part of our desire to not limit ourselves as people just because we're part of a marginalized group. That's a really good point, Meredith. Where do you think you've traveled kind of with thinking, screw you, I'm going to do it anyway. I want to go there. But it's complicated. Huh, that's a really good question. I haven't done actually like a lot of traveling to places that, you know, people might consider whatever, like difficult to travel to. But I am going this summer for a month to Guatemala, you know, which is the first time that really like I've traveled to a place that I wasn't particularly deeply familiar with mm -hmm. before I decided to go. And I'm traveling alone for a month. And there are instances when I think to myself, oh, like, is this something that you know, that I should worry about or that I should think about. I did actually, I just remember that I did recently travel to Sao Paulo, Brazil. And Brazil, as some people may know, is actually the country that has, you know, some of the highest levels of, of LGBTQ and particularly trans violence. And I did go there being aware of that. And I went there despite that because I felt like it was really important for people to be exposed to 
trans people who mm -hmm. are, you know, in leadership positions, trans people who occupy these roles rather than their particular their particular preconceptions of what trans people should be like. Do you think you made the right decision? I did because I met a bunch of people who are actually really deeply committed to the cause of exposing their country people to all different types of trans people. And that was part of the reason why I was invited there. And people were really, really emphatic that it was really important for them to address that specific issue of trans violence. See, this is the question I have. I think that's the tension, whether, do you think, okay, I want to set an example. I want to demystify something that you're able to other. I want to say, hey, you know, you think you hate LGBTQ people. Maybe if you meet me, that might chip away a little bit at that prejudice against I want to use my economic power against a culture that doesn't make me feel welcome to make a statement and that tension. But, you know, does my little bit of economic power matter? Mm. Personally, I, I feel like there's statistics out there that will prove that it really doesn't have that great of effect. Uh, but I'm, to your point, I'm more of the former. I moved to New York about nine years ago um, when I was 19, and I made this kind of just promise to myself that I will go to a new country by myself for however long I can with whatever amount of money I can kind of scrap up. Not come from money, I'll tell you that much. Uh, first generation American. <laughs> Parents are from Iran. <laughs> I'm sure we'll get to that later. We can. And, you know, there were some places, like, it was easy. When I went to Germany, like, I went to Berlin for a month, and I don't really remember that trip too well. <laughs> for reasons we will get into. Good, for good For good for reasons. Good reasons. Okay, for good reasons. Okay, okay. But, I mean, I, I, I went to Lebanon. And um, I've been to Turkey, and actually I went to Turkey, uh, it was, I think it was five years ago when it was during um, all the riots that were happening around Taksim Square. And of course, like, I was born in Berkeley. The Berkeley boy in me, like, decided, like, I'm going to stay, like, in the, the hostel closest to Taksim Square. And what I do when the riots break out, like, I went out rioting. And, um... Protesting. Can we say you went out protesting rather than riots? Let's say you were yeah, protesting. Yeah. <laughs> um... And then there are places where I just, I had no idea what to make of. Like, um, my cousin, she's half Iranian, half Vietnamese. She's never been to Vietnam, but she went to Iran before. I've never been to Iran, but I went to Vietnam about a year and a half ago. And I was there for about a month. And I mean, I'm always curious. And I think it's so important. I mean, with what I do as a cook, as a writer, as a human being, to stay curious and so I always want to be traveling um, I'll always be learning something and hopefully I could be teaching people uh, whether it has to do with my sexuality or not yeah I can see that what do you think Sam what, where do you sit mm. have you been anywhere deliberately in a sense of saying I want to chip away at those expectations or have you boycotted anywhere because you thought you know what I'd rather spend my money somewhere that I feel more endorses who I am so you're about to find out why it was a mistake to invite me on this podcast, uh, which is I've actually been out of the country twice. Well, I guess if you count all the times I've been to Canada, I grew up in upstate New York. And so I've been to Canada a ton of times, which is very, you know, pretty mm -hmm. similar culture wise to where I grew up. And so I've been to France, though. Um, and in general, I, I think because travel is very, very, you know, in a lot of ways, it can be really expensive. I've never really had the opportunity to travel a ton but I think that's also me telling myself that because I've also decided not to go if I didn't have someone else to come with me. And a lot of that, I think, is just, it's really scary. Um, and my whole life, I, I was the youngest and I was the only um, one raised as a girl and I identify as non-binary, which the reason why that's relevant is because since everyone views me as a woman when they before they meet me, the way that I am often treated is, you know, similar to cis women. I have a lot of like experiences with catcalling, but I wouldn't say I have very many experiences, if you know, any outside of like the internet and harassment with anti-trans violence. And so I think it's very different for a lot of trans people to travel than it is for somebody who everyone reads as cisgender. And so I think for me, like, so I view it as like, oh, I'm afraid of going to this, you know, this place where I have been told that it's hostile for women, but it's compounded if you are also a person of color, if you're also, if you also identify as trans. Um, and if you are also, say, traveling with your partner, 
if you're in a same-sex relationship, then, you know, I think it's very, very different. So I think I've boycotted See, basically think, the travel. I, I was going to say, I think, you make, I think you make two really good points. Mm-hmm. One, I think that's a question of people who can choose whether they're revealing their point of difference or not, whatever that may be, that sort of sense of realness. But also, I don't think there's any difference between asking that question about traveling around America versus overseas. True. I think your point is really well made, but I don't think it's, have you been to Paraguay? I think there could be really challenging places within the country where you think, you know, is that somewhere that I would feel comfortable. Meredith, you want yeah, to say Yeah, I mean, I, I was going to say that I'm also a person who is often read as cisgender. And it's interesting that that's also true in different contexts. You know, like I come from the Philippines, and in the Philippines, it's actually like a lot easier for people to identify me as transgender, even though thankfully, you know, the Philippine society is relatively tolerant of trans people. So I haven't had a lot of problems, but it is a really key difference, you know, for a lot of trans travelers, especially trans women, you know, just because being a visible trans woman is kind of equivalent to the ways in which a gay couple would always be, you know, like if a gay couple mm-hmm. always held hands while they were traveling, <laughs> wherever they are, right? That's an, like that, they're that's constantly, a great parallel. Mm-hmm. yeah, like signaling that they are a gay couple. If you're a visibly trans person, wherever you are, that's essentially what you're doing. You're telegraphing what your, you know, like what your identity is, and that can be dangerous in, you know, in particular situations. So I certainly don't begrudge people for being concerned about their safety. Do you know, it's one of my most heartbreaking. I remember being on a plane once and I was on a Delta flight to London. I was in very comfy seats. So I had someone take my coat from me, you know, one of those moments. And the, the lady who took... No, I actually don't know. No. Okay. 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 <laughs> I, very... I recently flew business class for the first time. And, oh, they and give you really free alcohol. It's oh. awesome. <laughs> and they take your coat. And, they, you know. and the lady who took my coat was lovely. And I looked up and she was this she basically looked like she time warped out of 1962. She was like a stewardess in this kind of glam. She was sort of, she was so very thro- Pan Yeah, very Pan <laughs> Thank you. That's exactly what she was. And then I realized, I thought, I think you're a trans woman. Okay, whatever. That's great. Like, I love this new Karen. And there was a guy sitting next to me. And I thought, as a trans woman, you're working in a business that's probably quite safe. You're surrounded by other LGBTQ people. Good for you. You found a good niche. And I was really, ex- I kind of had this lovely moment. And there was a guy sitting next to me who I presume was a straight middle-aged guy playing with his camera. And I didn't pay much attention. I was reading my book. And the cabin service director came over to him and said, if you've taken photographs or video of my colleague, you need to delete them because it's against TSA rules. And the guy was like, and then he took out his camera and he deleted all the photographs that he'd taken of this poor woman and she changed service stations. Mm. And I just thought that's such, I was really looking forward to her because I I kind of felt like I'm getting this Pan Am experience. But it was also really heartbreaking because I thought even that's not a safe space for her. No, I think safe work environments is like a huge problem in terms of like, a lot of trans people and a lot of queer people all over the country and worldwide just like finding really safe places to work where your job security isn't threatened because of your identity. And I can't tell you how many people I know who identify as non-binary or trans who have had photos taken of them in public. And I think that is like, as soon as you said there was a camera, I was like, oh, I know this is going. (laughs) It wasn't something I'd come across before and it really, so many elements of it made me so sad. Let me, I just want to ask you something else. One of the stories I contributed to the Pride package was about same-sex destination weddings. And one of the brides said to me, I think it's really important to work with LGBTQ-owned businesses, whatever they may be, as an LGBTQ traveler. What do you guys reckon? Is that too, again, is that ghettoizing or is that supportive? I mean, I think it's undoubtedly supportive, right? We live in a world you know, where a lot of, especially internationally, right, where a lot of a lot of LGBTQ people aren't supported, you know, so any opportunity that we have to support LGBTQ-owned businesses is, you know, like, I think important. It's actually kind of odd because I have not publicly announced my engagement, and so it seems like I'm actually going to, I'm <laughs> actually this, going, this, this, moment? this is a moment in which <gasps> I'm, in which Congratulations. I'm <laughs> recently got engaged, so this is a really live issue for me, and seeing how 
the staggering amounts of money that are involved in planning um, a wedding. Especially, I will do your makeup. <laughs> yes, right. Um, especially with relatives who are deeply invested in said <laughs> wedding. Um, destination wedding, is it going to be? or It's the Catskills. So it's not like a hugely destination wedding, but it's a destination wedding for my family in the Philippines. Was, and it's more than a ta- anything more than a taxi <laughs> or someone, you know, an Uber ride counts as a destination yeah. wedding. So being really mindful of the businesses and where the money is going to go is is So are you looking at that for your venues and your suppliers? Would that be something you would look at? Absolutely. Yeah. Like I I met a queer caterer, for instance, just a couple of weeks ago. And immediately I was just like, okay, great. I will, you know, like I will approach her and ask her to send me her quotes. No, and my friend Danny told a story when he and his husband got married in, in hello Danny, in May in Mexico, <laughs> and I couldn't go, I'm still sorry, I had relatives visiting. But when they got married, they got married in Puerto Vallarta, they're both Mexican-American men, and they went down to have some photographs taken on their one of their recce's. And they'd found this photographer on Instagram that they loved. And they said to him, hey, you know, we're a same-sex couple. We just want to check you're comfortable, you know, doing this because we want this. And it was he's like, I do all photographs. Blah, and it was all very neutral. And they're taking the photographs. And Danny said to him, so how did you, you're Polish. Why, how did you end up in Puerto Vallarta? You know? And he said, well, my husband is Mexican, so I moved here to get married. And suddenly Danny realized that I don't think the guy necessarily wanted to market himself as a same-sex wedding photographer because he was worried that would limit him. But Danny was a bit sad that as a gay couple, he hadn't said, oh, you, since you ask, you know, don't worry. I'm very comfortable taking same-sex photographs <laughs> because I'm in that oh, relationship. Oh, by the way. By the way. By the way. <laughs> so it worked out. But it, I think that's – and it, so it's always worth double-checking because you never, never know. What do you think, Andy? You've been nodding a lot. Mm, about – I mean, I think it's very important to, you know, to look within the community to find support. Um I am not close to getting married. <laughs> You're thinking all. about a destination wedding. Okay. I'm thinking about like where is my husband? That's what I'm thinking about. <laughs> where you, is he? I'm gonna like meet him kiss him and wedding. slap him at the same you time. Might meet him he at might be listening wedding. to this podcast. Exactly. <laughs> oh yeah. Tweet okay. to you like, again and uh, please. I'm again. He's we, very cute, by the way. <laughs> you, can, you can Google Andy, and we'll give you his contact details at the end of the podcast. And please, we'd love to hear. You know, whether you're part of the LGBTQ community or you have opinions about this, you know, please share it with us. I personally would love to hear your thoughts about where that question of should you boycott using your economic power should you make set an example of how different is okay where do you sit because we love hearing from you so i want to move us on a little bit and talk about some specific examples of places that might be challenging for lgbtq people to think about visiting and whether you guys would visit what you think about them as potential destinations the first you know is it it's basically a quick fire go don't go you know would you bermuda which was the first country in the world. Go. <laughs> Goodness me, I love it. I haven't even finished my question. I've started, so I finished. Hard agree. Okay, okay good. So we have two yeses. And Andy, what? Absolutely not. It's a little tacky. Oh. <gasps> <laughs> we have a totally different reason not to go because there's a little bit of snobbery rather than. Yes. Yes. <laughs> have you been to Bermuda? No, I have no desire. And really, mm. I. I think I, we should be open-minded since we're I, I, challenging people to be open-minded. High unless, travel board of being you know, I don't like, <laughs> I, I'm, a Calif- I'm from California. I'm not necessarily someone who loves being by the water that much. I'm more of a mountains and city boy. Okay, well, that's fair. But what I was going to... So the reason we say Bermuda, for any, any listeners who aren't familiar, Bermuda was famously the first, I think it's officially a territory because they do have British passports, to roll back gay marriage. So same-sex marriage was legalized for Bermuda, and then Bermuda made the decision to strike it down, but recently local courts just struck down the striking down. So now it's in limbo. So that's why Bermuda... So, Meredith, Sam, why do you say go? Is it just because you love Bermuda? What, you know? No, because in fact, what's interesting is that Bermuda actually has like really robust LGBT friendly laws, and it is true that this court order did happen, but in certain ways, Bermudans actually enjoy more LGBT-related protections than Americans. They do have work-related As a legacy of Bermuda's connection to Britain, or as in that complicated way that Bermuda is related to Britain? I don't think it's necessarily British-related, because I have to, like, you know, like, do a little bit more research. But we did publish an article at them in which pointed out that there are a significant number of states that don't have discrimination protections for LGBT people, even though 
same-sex marriage is legalized all over the country. But also, and more importantly, it doesn't change the fact that there are still queer people in those countries. And so isolating them is not, you know, I don't think is actually the most wise move. And also, you know, pot kettle black is, you know, it would be my most <laughs> answer to that question. Okay, so, and Sam, where do, you, about that. Where, where do you fall? I would like to go, um, and I want to be able to say that it was for a really good reason, but I was chiming in because I just have always really wanted to go to Bermuda. <laughs> I am so counts. sorry. <laughs> but remember, but I think, but the point that Meredith made True. earlier, which is sort of like, Yes, we're constantly aware that we might act as ambassadors for a particular community, but also you might just want to go somewhere. And are you allowed to just think, I really want to go to Bermuda? And I just want to live. <laughs> <laughs> just pack some Bermuda shorts. I found Bermuda quite formal. And even as a British person, I found them quite formal. So Not I have a question and um, it's really stupid. So please edit this out later if it's that bad. Is the Bermuda Triangle around Bermuda? I don't think that's stupid at all. Oh. Yes, it is near Bermuda. I definitely want to go. <laughs> but for that means you might not come back. I really yeah. like mysteries. <laughs> okay. So we have two hard yeses and one no for a different reason. Um, well, we're going to park that. So let's talk about... I want to talk about a country where homosexuality is technically illegal. This is a legacy. There are lots of countries around the world, most of whom they fall into two categories, either ones which have a brush with Sharia law or which have a legacy from the British Empire, which sort of pushed out very anti-male gay laws, at least, as I understand it, to a lot of its former territories and have, that have stuck around. I think people are very surprised when I talk about it, when I say, you know, officially in India, homosexuality is still illegal. My gay Indian friends, my male gay Indian friends say, you know, unfortunately, it's illegal for poor people, that it tends to be a very class caste based law. Where do you guys think about India? Illegal to be gay in India? Should you still go? There are still sodomy laws in the books in the states, right? And so I do think that it's a factor if the law is being, you know, selectively enforced, you know, but I still, you know, unless it's part of a concerted effort to change the law and that I would want to support, I often find myself in a position where I just really need to know a lot more about the issue in order to make those types of decisions. So that, for instance, until really, really recently, actually in the past year, trans people had no legal standing in the Philippines. We couldn't change our names. We couldn't change as a holdover of American colonialism. Like we couldn't, you know, like we just weren't legally recognized. But at the same time, we enjoy significantly greater social acceptance in the Philippines than we do in the States, right? And so, and you wouldn't necessarily know that unless you actually come from the Philippines or are deeply immersed in that culture. So I tend to withhold judgment unless, you know, like I really investigate an issue. And that's a great, I th- and I think you're making a very good point. I think we should all be informed. I guess what I'm talking about India is the sense that if a country has a law that says that homosexuality is illegal, does that preclude visiting it or does it put an asterisk on the idea of visiting? You're absolutely, if we, when we talk about specifics, but that's an example. But the theory of it, what do you guys reckon? I have to say I would go only because of when I think about the fact that uh, it's illegal to be homosexual is, um, is illegal in India. I mean, it's the same in Iran and knock on wood, I'm, I'm planning to go to Iran for the very first time this coming fall. And, uh, you know, there are some people, friends and family who completely support me and there are some who, who, who don't and don't think it's a good idea. I'm curious what their thoughts would be if I told them I would be going to India. Whether they would have the same reaction. I, I, yeah. I, I don't think they would. I think they would like, that, that's amazing. But they'd say the food's delicious. Yeah. Well, where are you going? Yeah. What are their concerns about Iran when they talk about it? What, it sounds obvious, but I'm curious what comes out. So it seems to be, um, I hear this, especially for my family, two different sides. This first side is like, well, you, as like an editor at Bon Appetit, um, I've definitely written a few pieces acknowledging that I'm a gay man. And I've been in videos and I 
do social media and I'm I'm out there anyways. I'm I'm not hiding my sexuality. You're out out there. I'm out there. I feel out like there. there's, yes, there's yes, some yes, pun yes, there. Yes. Like I don't They're great videos, great food videos. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. So some of my family is like you're becoming just more of out there in the public, so you're more of a target. Honestly, I don't really think that. I mean, I will say if I do go, um, I would kind of get off social media entirely and forever how long I would go, I would just, I'd be off the radar. And other members of my family, they say, uh, well, just because like tensions between the U.S. and Iran are, you know, high again. Um, and um, See, that's the thing, because I could understand people having concerns. When I think about someone like Iran with an American passport, and also there's a British-Iranian woman who has dual nationality who's currently imprisoned in Iran for complicated reasons, which, which are a little too... Uh, please Google Nazanin Zaragari Ratcliffe. But my concern about Iran might be more about the geopolitical situation than a sexuality question. Well, that's the thing. In order for me to go to Iran, my father was uh, born in Iran, so I wouldn't be able to go with a visa. I'd have to get an Iranian passport. Since my father was born there, I am an Iranian citizen. So I had to get a birth certificate and an Iranian passport to go. I couldn't go with a visa. So if I ever go to Iran, they don't acknowledge dual citizenship. Mm. So I'll be only looked at as an Iranian. You'll be a Say it out loud. It's kind of is, yeah. is shocking. Um, that being said, um, I've never been good at listening to my family. I mean, I moved to, across the country and no one's here. I'm, all my family's on the West Coast. <laughs> you can say hello to them now. I hope they're listening. Hi, yeah. hi, family. But it's it's for me. It's it's a personal thing. It's it was so much of why travel. Again, it goes back to curiosity. And Iran is one of the, if not the biggest, missing piece in my life. And I plan to see family that I've never met before, but also go to the places that, you know, my my parents have never even seen. I really want to say that that if I go, I, I will just be enjoying the sights, my family, the food, being immersed in the culture, trying to get back my fluent Farsi, or practice my Farsi. But, um, but another part of me is like, oh, no, I have to... I have to do some research. And that's yeah, I, and I think to. this is the te- exactly the tension, which is sort of what this podcast is, episode is all about. I will say I have two openly gay friends who went to Iran a while ago, one of whom went with a female straight friend, and they wore engagement... Bodyguard. <laughs> she was, and they wore engagement rings. She noticed that the head covering she was required to wear didn't fasten, so she had to choose either losing the use of one hand to hold it or to put it in her mouth and keep both of her hands open. So she felt very restricted. There was a very real sense of what that did to her. He did not. And I have another openly gay friend who went on his own, and, hey, Rob Jackson, I know he listens to this, and is a real traveler, and he loved it, and was startled at how un-out-of-place he found himself. He was just interested. He was respectful in the sense that he was interested and had researched, but his sexuality wasn't really a factor in his visit. I hear that from every person that I meet that has gone to Iran that is not Iranian. However they identify, male, female, American, they just fall in love with the country. And that, you know, that that fills my heart. I think a part of me is like, well, I can't go as someone else. I have to go as an Iranian, so... But what if you went with a partner? That's a good question. That's a great question. That's true. I, I mean, honestly, selfishly, I, would, I wouldn't want to go with anybody else. Uh, I feel like they'd, like, almost hold me back. Um, I mean, <laughs> right now, it's, I think I've been here for nine years, been traveling on my own for eight years, and I think I've, I think it's, it's usually more than one country per year, so I've probably been to about, like, 15, 16 countries by myself. And I think it's a, for me, it's, goes back to what I said about just like wanting to learn more about a different place and the people and the culture but also it's a break from New York and allowing me to kind of fall back in love with with New York when I come back. Something that I think is interesting that we're kind of touching on a little bit is that so many people kind of think that they will feel out of place when they go somewhere and they're really afraid of it and I think you know not to get on my soapbox, but I do think that in general... Stand away, go ahead. This is what this is for. Go ahead. (laughs) Well, I think that in general, um, 
America has a tendency to other countries outside of, of, I guess, Western Europe and, you know, the more touristy parts of South America and Asia. And, um, and I think a lot of what that does is it makes us afraid that somewhere that might actually have a huge, accepting, wonderful, beautiful LGBTQ community is, you know, universally stigmatizing and, and uh, that we should be afraid. And then, you know, like we've been talking about a lot, obviously like laws are, are one thing and they're so important in terms of protections, but it's also like, if you go to the South um, and if you go to certain parts of New York City, like, and if you go to certain parts of, of Los Angeles, you'll be treated not super well <laughs> if you're LGBTQ and you won't really have a leg to stand on. I know so many people have had bad experiences in New York City and we're always thinking about how, how safe it is. And obviously there there's different levels of safety and how kind of out and open you can be. But I think I think that there are so many countries that a lot of like LGBTQ people could kind of actively participate in the economies of by going to them and just be really diligent consumers. And if we look at like those businesses that are owned by queer people, then we're supporting those in a way that maybe people that are, are otherwise visiting or are local might not be as actively participating in. See, I love you. I could have, I couldn't have scripted that setup better. Thank you, Sam. <laughs> I just want to bridge to what Meredith talked about earlier. When we talk about, if we go into another destination, which is one step further than we don't like re-outlawing same-sex marriage, we don't like homosexuality being illegal, but what about danger? And Brazil is very is an interesting country because Sao Paulo has the largest gay pride in the world, according to the Guinness Book of World Records. But equally, in Rio, there was a story in the Times which talked about 1,600 people had died in hate-motivated attacks. 1,600 LGBTQ people had died in hate-motivated attacks between 2012 and 2016 in Rio. So we have one country, two very different scenarios. So where does Brazil sit in our intersection of LGBTQ people and travel? Do you go? Is it too scary to go? I will say I went to Rio for work. I, I went for some segments for today for Traveler and I was terrified. I wasn't terrified as an LGBTQ person. I was just terrified. But again, that's just you, me. You were terrified. Why? Um, because I felt that Rio had a tinderboxiness that at any moment it could pivot from feeling so amazing and glorious and delicious and wonderful to things being very, very difficult. And I am the most generic Caucasian looking person. Anyone could be Brazilian, I recognize this, but I really, I would struggle to be Brazilian even in Brazil's pan-racialness. I look very British. So I also felt that I couldn't pass as Brazilian even in its sort of rainbowness. And I think I felt like a, a bit of a, a sore thumb. But what do you guys, th what do you guys think about Brazil and, and those kind of challenges? I mean, I love Brazil. I love Sao Paulo. Tell me why I'm wrong, Meredith. Don't um, go I mean, it's re really funny because I was there for the tail end of Carnival. And so, and I love it there just because of the fact that it is so multiracial, right? That there isn't, it's one of the few countries that I've been in where it just kind of felt like I, you know, like I didn't, I stand out everywhere. I'm, you know, for people who can't see me, I'm an albino Filipino person. And so I'm kind of used to being in places and people kind of like looking at me. And in Sao Paulo, it's just like, oh, like you're just another kind of person. <laughs> you're another kind um, of Brazilian. You're, yeah, you're, yeah, you're just like another, you know, they could, um, but also I guess, you know, like people were, people obviously were, you know, like super, super nice and were really, I mean, it, it, it is a culture that has certain similarities to the Philippines, but it is true that people there were very much protective of me and, you know, and definitely said, okay, well, I think you shouldn't, you know, necessarily, you know, go to a couple of particular neighborhoods. But it was also the case, you know, that I just kind of like danced on the street with other people and, you know, and was very much like, oh, you're American. I thought you were honorary, you know, or you're an honorary <laughs> Brazilian, right? Because, because they do, you so know, you like, I do enjoy my party. You wouldn't, you would, goodness me, I feel like it's another podcast. Yeah. I want to, I want to just travel with you. Um, 
but so you would say that Brazil, where there is that challenge, that that tension between kind of violence, you would say Sao Paulo for you was a great place. Yes, but at the same time, I'm also super mindful of my privilege in the sense that I think, you know, like every trans person is embodied in a different way. But also, you know, but also being trans also comes with a social position, right? You know, so I feel like in a lot of situations, for instance, you know, trans people are often associated with sex work or poverty, right? So the fact that I don't communicate those markers means that it's less likely for people to identify me as trans. And I think also because of the fact that I've been post-transition for over 10 years, it's just like not kind of like an immediate part of my you know sort of like brain system i don't i just so kind of like making, don't walk again around i think you're thing. making the, the very obvious but very important point which is when we talk about the lgbtq community it's not just an amorphous blob right. Right. everyone yeah. is a person with their own certain affect and aspects but it is it to, is pretty fascinating yeah. to me that you as a white gay man felt less comfortable than me i was also Brazil fascinated by that as um and as don't a get me wrong zone of color. i love cities i don't get i don't get afraid in cities i get afraid in the countryside because plants as many people will have heard me say many times in this podcast plants belong in pots safely where they can't get out of control oh my god and I found Rio one of the few cities in the world, and I've been to African cities. I've been. I found Rio very, very uncomfortable, and I was disappointed that it, the reputation it had to me was well founded because I wanted it to be wrong. And again, please tweet at us. I'd love to hear. Tell me what I did wrong in Rio. I went to some beautiful restaurants. I had a lovely time, but I did feel self conscious. Can I, I want to also talk, because Sam, you mentioned, it's very timely. I'm British, so I think about the World Cup. Well done, England. You beat Tunisia. It's well done. Good job, Mexico, for beating Germany. Uh, again, <laughs> again, we're showing our tribalism here. But I think Russia is a very interesting question. There was a Reuters report saying that the number of sentences for crimes against LGBT people increased 265 in 2015 from 18 in 2010 since there was a law banning, quote, gay propaganda. There have been some very interesting stories from OutSports, for example, which talks about the engagement and bringing openly LGBTQ supporters of soccer to Russia and saying you have to come, corralling people together. All well and good, but where do we sit on Russia? Would you go to Russia right now? Is it okay to go to Russia? I would go to Russia. So my partner is Russian and um, and from was born in Russia, left. Um, Where like, in Russia? Outside of Moscow. Okay, so Mo- because I, I was Russia Kobo. is enormous. So Huge. Moscow <laughs> is what adjacent. I um, so it's about twenty minutes from from Moscow, I think. And um, and I think we've talked about it a lot. And I've been kind of looking into Russia just to learn more about it and and learn a lot about Eastern Europe in general over the past year. And it is very, very interesting because there are so many, you know, small pockets of just like very vibrant LGBTQ groups. But in the same way that I think Brazil has this massive pride, right? And has like a huge, has a huge pride parade and um, celebration and also has a terrifying amount of of anti-trans and anti-queer violence. So I think those are kind of, in a lot of ways, responsive to each other. I think so much of the way that people respond to being told you're supposed to be afraid and we're gonna threaten you into being afraid is to respond with like, no, I'm going to do this as well as I can, and I'm going to do this so loud that you can't ignore us, and there's so many of us. And I think with Russia, it's a little bit different because the, you know, I'm, like, going to get put on a list. No, I'm kidding. Um, but but the government is extremely repressive and, and is very, very, very controlling of the narrative that the media um, has, and it is so dangerous for so many people there. I think they dissolved a law or made it uh, reduce sentencing for domestic violence very recently. So domestic violence is up. There's so many different things that are so dangerous for so many uh, marginalized groups there that have just compounded over the last few years because of the Kremlin. And that is really, really terrifying. So most of the time, I don't want to go somewhere or I don't want to prevent myself from going somewhere just because of the way the government is. But 
for Russia, Russia has scared me a bit. And also hooliganism is a whole other thing. And that is Again, just love, pure toxic we're, we're, masculinity. We're back to, back to Andy and Bermuda. You're like, there's a whole other reason. Oh, yeah. But I think, and that's when we were looking at that line between mm -hmm. I want to set an example and say, I, I you know, LGBTQ people, I, we're not this scary giant body that you don't understand. But equally, the laws are really repressive. I think Russia is very challenging. I've been to St. Petersburg and Moscow and Sochi and... I've been all over Russia. Would I personally rush back to Russia at the moment? It's probably one of the places in the world that would give me the most pause. Yes. Yeah, I, I would agree. I mean, I, I think, I mean, I think if I had a compelling reason to go, yeah, if, you know, if there was something of particular interest to me, I mean, I would be likely to go to cover <laughs> a story as a journalist, right? Um, but as a tourist or as somebody who is going for my own curiosity, it has never been, you know, like one of the primary places that I would want to visit. But, but at the same time, you know, some of my favorite writers come from Russia. And so... Russia is one of the most cultured, incredible, yeah. long-historied countries in the world. So it's a very complicated thing because when you dismiss and think, I don't want to go to Russia right now, it's one of the most important, sophisticated, intriguing cultures in the world. Mm -hmm. And St. Petersburg, when I went to St. Petersburg, I went for white nights when it really doesn't get dark. It's really freaky in early June. And it was one of the most exciting things I've ever done. And the idea that that is off limits by choice or, or law to anyone is such a shame because it was amazing. All right, maybe you convinced me. That's <laughs> all yeah, I and I'm Russia. Andy, we, you've been nodding. Do you have any thoughts? Because I have one last destination I want to... So I would go to Rio, and with Russia, while there are some concerns, I still would go to Russia. I've always had this kind of romantic notion of, of Russia for quite some time. That being said, I want to take a step back and acknowledge, like, you know, I'm ethnically ambiguous. So in Rio, I would blend in and probably stand out a little bit in Russia. And I think I'm also just extremely highly aware and of how I carry myself. I don't know if I could blame my parents for that or just <laughs> being a gay man. And luckily living in New York, I don't feel that I don't adapt. You know, I don't feel like I adapt from like friend to friend or so much. But I imagine, like, if I did go to a, uh, a country where there might be some concerns, I would adapt. And when I say adapt, like, in whatever sense I feel the need to, whether it's, like, the way I dress, um, growing my beard out, um, uh, the way I interact with people, knowing, watch my eyes and let's not cruise too much. Like, I don't cruise. I stopped cruising a while ago. Um, Again, your parents really aren't listening. It's okay, don't worry. <laughs> Only Grindr now. Only gr no, not on Grindr. I not agree, though. That I makes feel like sense. this is serving as a dating. I feel like we're really Thank serving you very this up. <laughs> Welcome to Pride Month. <laughs> I have to acknowledge that. And it's, it's a, I don't know if it's, it's a, good or a bad thing, if it's a fortunate or misfortune, but like, I am aware of, I am a man at the end of the day, and like, that is, it does make it probably, it, not probably, it does make it easier for me to go to a lot of these places. But I also think you're making a very interesting point, there's a, there's a British journalist called Mobi Nazar, who is a South Asian, openly gay, British guy, who has made some very interesting documentaries on radio and TV. And um, he was on a wonderful podcast that I love called Fortunately recently talking about how he chooses to adjust his clothing according to who he's interviewing. And he said, you know, I have doorstepped people who've said I've been trained by Islamic State. And he said, no, I don't wear my earring and my big quiff and my rainbow necklace because I'm looking to connect with them. I, I wear kind of clothing that they wear. And I loved him for saying that because I don't think that was a betrayal of who he is. I thought that was a very smart, strategic, insightful, emotionally attuned behavior versus some kind of self-denial. So I, I love your point yeah. about that. I think anyone who's ever kind of done the, you know, kind of going into a space and changing the way you speak or like changing your mannerisms, which so many people I know do. And I do it all the time. Like, I, I mean... 
Fun fact, I was a telemarketer for a year before I went into journalism and yeah. That's another podcast. Again, I've just, you've been so much. You can come back. This now. is not even the normal voice I use, actually. Uh, this is my like. This is, this is not my accent. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, have so, a, I have a whole separate Filipino <laughs> accent. Oh, saying. really? Yeah. <laughs> and I think that, so anywhere that I go, I'm always going to use my like different voice and the way I, I hold myself and the way I like even make eye contact in a different way than I'll use it, say, if I'm like at work or if I'm with my friends or anything like that. And, and I think. Whenever I've traveled or whenever I've been in an unfamiliar place, that just like is extremely heightened, like you're kind of, you know, saying. And it's very, very different when you're somewhere that you're super comfortable. Like if you're comfortable in New York, even though I still do that here, it's very different than I was to go to another country where I'm a little bit more aware of how other people are seeing me and how they're responding to me. And I might just hyper read the room. You know, at the end of the day, like, wherever I go and even like in New York City in the States wherever I'm traveling like I am a visitor and I have to respect the space and that country that city and and the people whether I agree with their beliefs or not I think we have to kind of remind ourselves I think you're making a very good point that any good traveler any good tourist is thinking about how do I integrate what you expect of me one last thing just before we close you know we're based in America the Caribbean is very close by. Thanks largely, my rule with the Caribbean is it was, it's much more challenging for same-sex couples of any kind to visit any post-colonially British nations because of those Victorian laws that I mentioned earlier. Jamaica, of course, is I think is probably the poster child for anti-LGBTQ stuff. The government resists all attempts to decriminalize homosexuality. You know, Buju Banton saying, boom, bye-bye, and a baddie boy head. There's very much a sense of there is a dismissal of even concerns about it and LGBTQ activists in Jamaica really put themselves in the crosshairs of a lot of day-to-day violence and one moved to Toronto because he could not be in Jamaica. What do you think about the Caribbean? Would you guys, how do you feel as LGBTQ travelers? Can you go to the Caribbean? Do you have to be selective? What do you do? I can't see myself going to Jamaica unless I was going specifically to advocate around these issues, you know, just because just because I feel like there are other ways that I can choose to, you know, to spend my money and there are other places that I can go. I mean, I have, however, you know, like I have been in contact with LGBT activists in Jamaica. So, you know, so for that specific reason, you know, to meet them and to, you know, like figure out ways to make the situation better, I would go. But I probably wouldn't go as a tourist. To sit on the beach. That's sort of, you know, I just want to decompress somewhere gorgeous with lovely weather. I mean, I'm from the Philippines, so. <laughs> <laughs> I'm feeling snobbery from all sides now. You're like, it's okay. I'm from it. Syracuse, so I'm just like down to go wherever. <laughs> yeah, like, as long as it's sunny. Uh, uh, even then. <laughs> Sam, Andy, you know, where would you sit on Jamaica? I recognize that there are many Jamaicans who are very, very accepting. This is not a vilification of any of these cultures, but it's very much looking at the governmental infrastructure and some of the problems culturally. What do we think about Jamaica or some of those other Caribbean islands? I would go knowing this and, again, be aware of you know the way I carry myself. Sam, do you have thoughts? I would go, uh, and I think this kind of gets back to the, I guess, some of the, the things that we've touched on earlier. I am very, very much read as a pretty straight white person um, or woman, even though I identify as non-binary, I'm Latinx. And I think because of that, I would not worry as much about my safety. So I would never blame somebody who would worry about their safety or who who wouldn't want to go necessarily. And I think if I had a way to go and make sure that, you know, A, I was kind of using my money in a, in a mindful way, or B, I was able to sort of advocate there and maybe teach a writing class, for instance, for, for LGBTQ people or, you know, youth. I think that would make me really want to go. And a lot of that is I have a lot of privilege because of the way people read me. So it's a lot easier for me to travel to places that have a lot of danger towards towards LGBTQ people. So I I think from that perspective of the safety, I would go. You know, if I could only spend my money on places that historically have been super 
prejudiced or businesses that have been super prejudiced, then then I would not go. Again, and I think that that reinforces Meredith's point of <laughs> the amorphous LGBTQ kind of beast does divide between different people's experiences. I will say when I was in the Caribbean one time, I remember being there with an old boyfriend of mine and we checked into the hotel and we didn't realize we got to the room that there would be two beds. It hadn't mm. crossed my mind. But I must admit, once we had two beds, instead of asserting the idea that we should have one, we slept in one bed and mussed the other one up in the morning before the room attendant arrived, because I just didn't want to be the room where the door was accidentally left open. And because, you know, it was that we were the less least desirable guests. And maybe I was being paranoid. I don't know if other people, and I'd love to hear from listeners if they've been through that. Anyway. Thank you, everyone, for sharing your stories. That was fascinating. I still think we should travel everywhere and do everything. I think it's amazing. And that's what Travelogue and all of everything we do is all about. I'm sure lots of people would love to get in touch with you guys. Can you tell me how can people find you on social media if they've been inspired to follow you, talk to you, chat with you? Meredith, how do people grab you? You can Google me, Meredith Tolison. Um, and my handle my handle is a little bit funny, but it's one, it's just the numeral one. And then Demerith, which is just Demerit with an H, because I'm a nerd. <laughs> Mine is, uh, this is Sam. You can find me on Allure.com. My SEO titles are everywhere. And you can find me on Twitter at My Hair is Blue and on Instagram as the one with blue hair. My hair isn't blue anymore. I was going to say, your hair's not blue right I know. now. I feel like you have to I change it. I need it when I was 22. <laughs> <laughs> you could find me on uh, bonappetit.com and the magazine um, and Healthyish. I'm not on Twitter yet, um, but you could find me on Instagram, um, Andy Baragani. Um, I feel like you need to register on Twitter so people who need to find you, I don't know who they might be, but they need to find you. They could be your first Twitter I'm very followers. good at answering my DMs. Um, if they're Slide not, over. if they're as long as they're appropriate. <laughs> well, I'll, uh, I'll and you, can, you can find me on Twitter at Mark J. Elwood. You can, of course, find Condé Nast Traveller on Facebook at Condé Nast Traveller, on Instagram at CN Traveller, on Twitter at CN Traveller. Please do review us. We love that. Please review us on iTunes, anywhere you get your podcasts, because that really helps us. People find us. Andrew H18, I'm fascinated that you're a flight nurse. I feel like we need to get you as a guest. I love that you told us that you'd get a dollar for every time I interrupt someone or I say they've made a good point. I'm not sure if that was a good or a bad thing. I'm just going to take it as a compliment because you did give it's us four stars. It's an excited thing. <laughs> exactly. I hope that. Thank you, Sam. And Patty Laddie, thank you for the review. Uh, please, more reviews. I will see you next week, but I will be sliding back into my normal chair when you will have normal service resume with Brad in charge. But thank you, everyone, for joining us and, um, and have a happy Pride. <laughs>